0: To a new way of being, being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. episode Lawrence McGrath explains how institutionalized minds lead to conflicted living the conversation is about marriage religion and quotes and quotes truth topics which Lawrence connect to institutionalized minds and conflicted living. Lawrence McGrath is an 85 year old author who used to be a marine pilot, college professor, college president, bank president, and a consultant. In his book, A Cry from the Heart, a personal essay, he expresses his thoughts about religion, dogma, love, and life. Here is the interview with Lawrence McGrath. Welcome back, Lawrence, and thank you again for your collaboration and support to this podcast. Today, our conversation is about institutions and how they influence in the way we think and in the way we live. My first question to you is, what is an institutionalized mind?
1: Well... An institutionalized mind is one that has learned the definition of words as espoused by that religion. And uh, I've said, uh, I don't know if I've said on this show, but it's uh, there are seven mutually exclusive worldviews. Each of them uh, are conflicted. They, you can't have believe in multiple gods and believe in one god or you can't believe that god is in this world and is out of this world and uh, so the problem is is uh, george orwell said it best he said the world cannot imagine the influence that elders have over child the enduring and capacity to believe that what the elder tells the child is true Is just remarkable. And therefore, when they're institutionalized, the child is institutionalized, then it takes, uh, like Aristotle said, that it takes harder to teach a man who is ignorant than it is to tell one who is in error. Because at first, you have to tell the guy he's in error that he's wrong, convince him he's wrong before you can teach him the truth. That's it in a nutshell, Uh, and everyone in the world is under a worldview. Whether they like it or not or whether they know it or not, they are in a worldview. And my goal is just to show them that they are living in a worldview and that there is no worldview that has the answer. It's all a belief. And uh, we can't have uh, and, uh, the uh, willingness to impose our will on another continue to work. It's just, it's, uh, it's conflicted living.
0: What is like to live without a belief?
1: Well, I think we all have a belief. It's just we don't have the affirmation of an institution to validate our position and And that's you know the the trillion or the billion people that are Catholics and the billion people that are non Catholic and the billion people of Muslim they all believe and they believe that uh, you get a reward in heaven, I guess
0: you wrote something interesting. you said organized religions have failed in their mission because their leaders fell in love with their dogma instead of their God. Why did they fall in love with their dogma?
1: Oh, lots of reasons. Uh, Pride and position, uh, power, uh, and uh, true belief. Uh, They just were ignorant of the facts, and um, they just did. Uh, An example. Uh, the Virgin Birth. Okay, at the at six thousand years ago, a book was written called Gilgamesh, and it's the first novel that we, we have in history. And the, the there were many gods, and the god uh, came to earth and inflicted a, a son on a woman, and um, and his name was Gilgamesh, and he was half god, half man. Well. The civilization continued with that philosophy that their gods were either totally in heaven, they were inflicted on earth by gods, and uh, or then, uh, like Caesar, he uh, had earned the right by his power and uh, glory that he became a god. And that's the institution that the founding fathers of Christianity had, that still they had to believe that uh, God was, Jesus was a God. And so they came up with true God and true man. <laughs> so I don't know where they got that, but that's that's it. And so that's what they believed. But they they couldn't reconcile the conflicting uh, theory of uh, original sin. And Mary had to be a virgin because uh, she couldn't carry original sin and, and give a virginal birth to Jesus. So Mary was uh, given a remake uh, as being a virgin, and then they said, "Well, she had to be a virgin before that, and so they called Anna Mary's mother, and they uh, anointed her being giving Mary a virgin birth. <laughs> she was a virgin and so uh, and that's what they mindlessly, mindlessly believe. If they inquire on the uh, fact of Jesus being a born a virgin, a human being, and a human God, uh, it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And of course, but that's a, an institutionalized mind is one that takes that message and believes it's true and goes about life. Right.
0: That's right. I know. You believe in God, right? Yes, so, I do. And I yeah. also know that the concept of sin is a religious one. But in general, why do you think we have a sin nature?
1: Well, the, that's why I wrote the Kinko stories. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Kinkle is a fiction, of course. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know how it's kind of long to describe, but the tinkle comes with every baby and he wants what he wants when he wants it. That The only thing the baby has as a tool or a weapon to live by is crying. And for the first year, a year and a half, if he is hot and cold or hungry or tired, or he cries. And mommy and daddy fix him up. They give him good food. So he has by the year and a half with no reason not to believe that what he needs or wants, he gets when he cries and he gets mad. Right. And uh, then the next stage is the unique way that we get around that. When we start minding the child, we The parents tell him no, and he does it anyway, and he gets spanked, and he doesn't learn to mind. What the child learns is that if you're bigger and stronger, you'll get what you want when you want it. And so that plays out in life for the rest of his life. And we encourage it, and we we football. We give high salaries to football players. The whole spirit of the game is to impose your will on another and score. It's crazy. We have institutionalized the definition of words to the point where they, they don't even make sense anymore.
0: Right. What do you think or what do you believe needs to be changed?
1: Well, unlike you, I have been cursed or rewarded <laughs> with the desire to go to the root cause. And for me, to, I'm taking on the whole world. The whole world is upside down. The uh, people have to learn that the language they speak is in error. They uh, and How do you teach uh, seven, eight, nine billion people? It's a slow process. And you are my bright, shining star. Mm-hmm. You're taking this uh, to the people for me.
0: Right. That's my passion, the awareness. Yeah. And But start with myself. I love Listening and connecting with people who have something to say. I love that. How is marriage connected to the concept of institutionalized minds and conflicted living?
1: Okay. Um, uh, Let me see. The English marriage law began in the 11th century. They were predominantly used by the church, which were the only educated people, or not only, but basically the only educated people, to record the heirs, the legitimate heirs. And so they started and they had uh, the book uh, in the church registry where they registered the marriage so that uh, a girl did a roll in the hay, couldn't claim her child was first born because she'd inherit everything. And uh, if they weren't Registered in their church registry, they so they had the bride and groom as witnesses, and then they had uh, groom, groomsmen, and uh, maids of honor as witnesses to the marriage, and then they had the families uh, being married. And so they couldn't all lie, in other words, to support a position. and they uh, it happened that the church law, the canon law, allowed for only uh, adultery as a rule for divorce. and the, but they had four reasons for annulment. And one is the, you were crazy and not able to consent to the marriage. okay? Two, you were married before. Uh, three, You didn't consummate the marriage with a a sex act. And four, I forget what four is, but uh, anyway, Henry VIII is the one that blew the lid off of it in the the 1640s. He uh, uh, married uh, Arthur's wife. Uh, Arthur was uh, his older brother. And uh, he uh, married her, but she had to go before the bishop and say that Arthur never consummated the marriage. And so that gave her permission to marry uh, the king. And he, uh, uh, after oh eight or 12 years, uh, he wanted an heir and uh, had her say that, well, no, she lied. Arthur really did consummate the marriage, and so that made her pre-existing condition and and then annulled the marriage, and he went to that. and He did that four times, and uh, and finally he said, well, this is silly. I, like, the marriage contract is like every other contract, and uh, we can do it in Congress, can pass the Marriage Act. And so they did, and not Congress Oh Lord, their House of Parliament passed the, the Marriage Act, and they they brought the canon law with them, and they they interpreted. And of course, then we exported it to America, and America had it all uh, the same way. That's the sum and substance of the marriage that we have I've read some to a place places. There are twenty percent of our population are not genetically fixed as the male or female. And so these poor people are ostracized, and they're not, they are not considered human, and they have, they have to live a life of celibacy, and, and uh, they have rebelled in the recent times. But they have their right to life They're like anybody else, and uh, it's we that have to change our attitude from the institutionalized mind of what a male and female is and what a human being is and it's just, that's a that's a really big subject, but it's uh, it's we're beginning we're still life is uh, evolving
0: right that's that's right, so what is happening is that we have we have been living through concepts instead of uh, intuition or our own thinking. We are not thinking for ourselves. That's what I hear you saying over and over, and that's causing a lot of problems.
1: Yes, that's correct. And, and we let the institutions drive the dialogue. They are not wrong.
0: What is institutional truth and how many types of truth are there?
1: Okay, there's none. There is no truth. There, if you uh, can take science, there is only belief.
0: Aside from,
1: from de- science, right? No, that, that's it. I, I don't have my paper in front of me. I can't, I can't recall. But if you take that what is represented as truth to its full conclusion, you, you just can't find in the, the universe because it's impossible to find it in the trillions of stars, you can't test it. And, and so so science doesn't have the truth. They have a the high degree of probability, but they don't, and, and neither do the philosophy.
0: Mm, right. What would be truth, anyway? What is your definition for truth?
1: Uh, well, truth is stating a result from applying given facts, and that is the truth. If you can say one and one and two, uh, then you put one and one on the paper and it says two, and that's a fact. That's the truth. But it's only a truth if you are agreeing in the the principle of 10 uh, as a number. Uh, You see, if you used three as a one, two, three, and you start over again 11, 12, 13, 21, 22, 23, then that is different. And, and uh, you have to agree on the, what, what the facts are.
0: Uh, so there is a collective agreement.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: For, and for everything, pretty much, right, Lawrence?
1: Ye- ye- yes, that's true. And that's. That's what makes religion so because they they're, it's, it's family, it's friends, it's uh, history, <laughs> it's, you know it's just real tough to break.
0: Right And that's interesting because one thing we know for sure about life is that um, it's in constant renewal and change. So there's no such a thing as uh, facts or truth, no solidity. Everything's changing. Do you want to make any other comments on the topic of institutionalized minds and conflicted living?
1: Um, well, no, I, uh, I don't think so. I, I believe we've covered it as much as we can do in this broad podcast.
0: I would probably have other questions to ask you. I didn't read the second piece you wrote, so maybe we can return to that when i read it because i didn't read i didn't do my homework just one
1: okay you're awfully busy and i think uh, you're doing a ge- wonderful job
0: class i'll be asking you now some questions related to life in general well-being spirituality are you okay yeah my first question is what is to be one's best friend
1: to uh, be there and, and, uh, and count on it, him or her. I think that's the thing for being a friend. You know, there's a definition of a friend that knows all about you and likes you anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and what would be like to be your own best friend?
1: Well, it seems impossible. I don't know. That's far from my mind. I haven't ever thought about it.
0: What makes you laugh? Yeah, besides the question itself.
1: Well, well, I guess I don't know. Uh, Just uh, the incongruities of life, the inconsistencies. I laugh at myself a lot. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I hear a lot of that from my guests. Like, you know, I make fun of my own (laughs) self. Yeah. That's great. Um, How do we know the purpose of our lives?
1: Oh, we don't. Oh, well, uh, that's easy. You see, my statement is God is in the bowling business. He knocks over a lot of pins with one ball. And that's why you've got the prescriptive will that is, thou shalt honor their father and mother and do all the positive things. Then you have the prohibited will, and that's, thou shalt not sin and screw and whatever. And everything in between. And that's really big area is permissive will. And so if you are faithful and you pray, and ask for God to lead, guide, and direct you, uh, then you are trusting in him to lead, guide, and direct you. But if it's a matter uh, that you're asking, should I marry this girl or should I get this job or should I change jobs, and he's silent and uh, so that he hasn't told you. So you screw up your face and you make the best decision you can and then you go, go forward with it. Well, there you can't be wrong. You can't make a wrong decision. You cannot accomplish your goal, but that is not a wrong decision because you have been faithful to your God to have the lead, guide, and you to direct you. And you know he got from you, your faithfulness. And so you don't know how he used you to accomplish his purpose.
0: Right. What about those who don't believe in God?
1: Well, they're just out there on their own and uh, I wish them well, they, but they don't have any answers.
0: Maybe that the voice within is the voice of God. Maybe they're listening to that voice without believing in a God. That could, be, that could happen too, right, Lawrence?
1: Yes, that's, that's certainly true. And uh, a lot of things we apply to God uh, don't necessarily apply to God. So, yeah.
0: The next question is, what is to know oneself? What is to know yourself?
1: Well, uh, you know your strengths and you know your weaknesses, and uh, you try to work in the area that uh, calls on your strengths and not work in the area that calls on your weakness. Uh, this has been very, very hard for me, uh, but uh, you, you got to have confidence in yourself. You, you manifest that. You have the confidence that you're doing something. And that's good. And uh, I think uh, I felt that way 20 years ago. But anyway, that's know know your strengths and weaknesses.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. If you were to have one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would that be?
1: Yes. One meal. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, we're into the meatless hamburger right now. Oh, good. <laughs> we we like that. It's very good. Uh, beyond meat, it's healthy. Yes, yes.
0: With French fries or
1: no, no oh, oatmeal.
0: Good. That's
1: good too. Oatmeal, uh, lettuce salad it would be good.
0: You're not. You're going for healthy foods if you were to have. One meal would be a healthy one, not a pleasurable one.
1: Yes, I think so. But at our age, <laughs> we're a healthy meal is uh, tasty. <laughs> we, yeah, we like they are,
0: I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I eat very healthy, and I think that they are very tasty, the foods I eat. Natural, just being by being natural is just the best. Do you believe in miracles?
1: Well, um, yes, I, I have to say yes. Why? Well I'm I'm a result of a miracle. Mm. I'll send you that right. story. I'd love to read that. Mm. I was a fighter pilot and uh, I had uh, three students on a night mission. The sheer force of nature closed the cloud bank uh, along the Gulf Coast and for 100 miles inland, and I had radio failure and it's a hair-raising story but I landed at uh, an airport and San Antonio, and uh, on the rollout down the runway, the four-man ran out of fuel and turned on the taxiway, the three-man ran out of fuel, and I flamed out as I entered the trucks. Wow. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. <air-raising. laughs>
0: yeah, so that was a miracle, right? Hmm. Yeah. Do you recall the, um, the landing on the um, Hudson River? In New York, I think the pilot's name was uh, Solly. Yeah, what do you think about that landing? That decision he made.
1: Oh well, I thought he did a good job as a pilot. He he took the facts and uh, he went with them. I, if you saw the movie, yeah. they they exonerated uh, him. Oh, it's not really. Uh, it
0: wasn't really uh, how it happened. The movie I watched. The movie, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it, it uh, the. Uh, it took 18 attempts for the pilot to duplicate the thing where he landed, but uh, Sally told me they didn't practice <laughs> that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he had to do it right then, and so it, it was very good. He, he did.
0: I think he had training uh, for what I heard. Yeah, he was a well-trained uh, pilot.
1: Oh, yes, I think so. I think all the pilots are very well trained. And uh, yeah, we've and they've got a lot of good equipment. I flew the planes that were closer to Eddie Rickenbacker's World War One, But uh, they've got, you know, just really good r- radar and radios and right. everything.
0: That was the only experience you had, uh, Lawrence, with um, failure um, as a pilot.
1: Oh! Oh no! Oh no! That others. <laughs> oh, oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an unnatural condition. Mm.
0: What a dangerous <laughs> profession!
1: My class started with uh, sixty-eight uh, pilots, and in four years, half of them were dead. And it was peacetime, and uh, so it's it's not a natural condition.
0: Right. Why did you choose to become a pilot?
1: Well, I, I completed three years of college and decided I didn't like my major and I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I always wanted to fly, so <laughs> I flew. I joined mm. the Navy. Wow. Typical <laughs> wow. brain dead kid. Right.
0: I have two questions left. If you knew for sure that you would die tomorrow, what would you do today?
1: Well, I pretty much live uh, each day that way and uh, would make sure my wife knew where everything was and uh, just have dinner and go to bed and <laughs> look forward to it tomorrow.
0: Nothing different, Lawrence? You wouldn't do anything different today?
1: No. Oh, I'd probably call the kids and wish them goodbye.
0: Right. That makes me think about life. Being this um, mysterious you know journey, we don't know when we're going to die. So it's a good practice to say to people we love that we love them or the way you define love, um, that you you have been grateful for their love and appreciative of I like that. And my last question is, what are three things about life you wish everyone would know before they die?
1: Well, I wish that they would know that uh, the language is uh, tricky, that they can't know it all. They can't have it all. Life's complex and big. And uh, I hope that they would learn that they couldn't impose their will on another. That's what I want.
0: That's a powerful lesson uh, or advice or way of living or practice, I would say. Acceptance. If we could accept more the way other people are, the way life is, I think would live a more peaceful life.
1: Yes, yes, it's very, very, yeah, definitely.
0: Like you're saying, instead of imposing, trying to change what we cannot change. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lawrence, for this conversation again. Um, it's always very genuine. It always makes me feel peaceful at the end.
1: Oh, I'm very, very glad. I hope the listeners enjoyed. Thank you.
0: Where can we find more information about you? How can the audience um, be in contact with you if they want
1: to? Uh, just email me at uh, lawrence1317 at, at gmail.com.
0: Thank you so much again. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Lawrence. Bye. Bye. for listening. To learn more about Lawrence McGrath, please visit the page fitforjoy.org authors. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.